Welcome to the Dead Pixel Society podcast, the photo imaging industry's leading news source. Here's your host, Gary Peugeot. The Dead Pixel Society podcast is brought to you by Media Clip, Photo Finale, and Advertech Printing. Hello again and welcome to the Dead Pixel Society podcast. I'm your host, Gary Peugeot, and today we're joined by Michael Osborne, the president of Wonderkind. Hello, Michael. How are you today? Doing well, Gary. Thanks for having me. Michael, tell me a little bit about Wonderkind, what the company does, and how you serve your customers. Yeah, absolutely. So Wonderkind is a performance marketing company uh, focused on delivering phenomenal experiences for consumers on behalf of our customers who are primarily retail, travel, hospitality, financial services. So essentially what we do is help them personalize, tailor, and deliver the right, the best message to their customers at the right time uh, to obviously you know, pr- promote positive business results, mm-hmm. but also to drive things like a phenomenal experience for that consumer and loyalty over time. You know, not just the standard marketing company trying to make a dollar. (laughs) You know, we're focused on helping our customers deliver an amazing experience, which obviously in turn helps them make dollars. Um, But really on on behalf of wanting to be the best possible uh, partner and and most engaged party with their customers. So can you tell me some of the customers you have so people may understand who you work with? We have large customers like Bloomingdale's, Sam's Club. Uh, we have customers like Forever 21, mm-hmm. uh, Fashion Nova. So we've, you know, we've got some very large brands that folks will recognize mm-hmm. across both the direct-to-consumer as well as kind of the standard mixed channel, big box retailer, online presence uh, retailers. Mm-hmm. Um, re- you know, really, it's a solution that's built for all of them. So if, they, if you're marketing to customers in any way, digitally or otherwise, uh, we can help. And we do. You've been in the marketing business for 30 years. Tell us a little bit about your background specifically. Yeah, for sure. So I, I have, I honestly started as an engineer in college, but as soon as that ended, I moved into the business side of things mm-hmm. and focused on companies that delivered both analytic solutions, but also digital marketing solutions, uh, as well as my prior company to joining Wonderkind, SmarterHQ, which was acquired by Wonderkind in late last year. Uh, focused on a lot of the same concepts, personalization, delivering the right messages, et cetera. We just, we went to market in a very different way and mm-hmm. solved a very different problem, which is why, you know, when Ryan, the CEO, Ryan Urban, CEO of Wonderkin reached out and said, we should put these things together. It made perfect sense to me. Um, okay. So, you know, my background has really been always on the MarTech side of, of the house, on the vendor side, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've worked with retailers that are no longer with us because they didn't make those transitions. <laughs> I've worked with retailers that now are huge and were very tiny back in the day. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly not trying to, you know, date myself by saying that, but there's some brands that I think most people probably remember fondly back in the day that aren't around anymore and others that were so mm-hmm. tiny and now, you know, have grown to be such powerhouses in market. Um, so, you, so you haven't had a 100% success rate is what you're saying. <laughs> well, no matter what we do as partners, if retailers don't have the right strategies, don't adapt to what changes from a consumer behavior standpoint, there's not a lot any of us could do, right? And so that's actually a really important point that I, I talk about a lot, which is adaptation to consumers changing needs. Right. Uh, today's world is obviously very different than it was even two years ago, uh, obviously because of COVID. But there are all kinds of trends over the last 20 years that certain retailers really figured out, wow, this is a, this is a trend, this is a shift, and I'm going to focus on that. And I'm going to make sure I meet my customer where they want to be, mm-hmm. as opposed to try and stay with what they always did. When it comes to the retail experience, 
like you said, that's changed a lot over the last couple of years, or even the last you know five or ten years, because you had yes. basically an in-store experience, maybe a catalog, maybe mail order, and then the internet comes in, and that comes into play, and that becomes more of a shift to home, and then you get to shift to retail. Now, our audience has been wrestling with with this for years. What do you see as the common thread among successful retailers who have managed to adapt over time? What 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 is the maybe the internal or, or the external approach that they have? Yeah. I, I think it, it comes down to adaptability, flexibility, actually paying attention to what customers are doing. Um, you know, retailers have gone through a number of different seismic shifts in the last, say, 15 years. I mean, think about it. 2007 was the introduction of the iPhone right. and how ubiquitous that kind of technology is today, regardless of what platform you use is a night and day change to the way consumers engage with a brand, the way they want to shop. Amazon was tiny 20 years ago, 15 years ago. It has completely changed expectations of the consumer. And I think the, 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 the pattern, if I were to go through and, and you know, do a TED talk on what it takes to make your, your retailer last, or your, your brand rather last 20, 30, 40 years, you would see the patterns of those that adapted to, that changed things, that disrupted, almost disrupted themselves as right. opposed to allowing outside factors or a competitor to do it for them. Uh, and you, you, can, you can see the brands that are still with us that are, fought, like, that, that are absolutely doing great uh, versus the ones that have faded because mm-hmm. they clearly did not adapt. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them by sheer will, they wanted to make their customer do what they wanted them to do as opposed to adapting to them. Others by just missing it, you know, not, not seeing the data the way they should and, and not understanding how quickly consumer behavior changes in order to adapt to it. And, and be able to flourish in that environment. I guess one of the things I think is interesting is how retailers either don't change or, or they change to be trendy, but then they miss the boat. Right. Right. And now the example I'm thinking of specifically is uh, Instagram, which is not necessarily a retailer, but they're an ad platform. But now they're, you know, they just came out with a, their, their CEO just came out with an announcement saying, you know, we're not about photo sharing anymore. We're about shopping, messaging, video, and celebrity news. I saw that. And I'm thinking, wow, that is a little far from your core competency, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Maybe that's wrong. What do you think, would ha- what do you think drives that sort of decision-making? in a business to chase the shiny? I I do think that retailers, like any business in a competitive environment, must maintain um, awareness and then take action on things that will make them differentiated from those competitors. Right. And they're they're constantly looking for the next thing that will give them an edge over whomever else in market they're competing with. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that about Instagram, because uh, just recently, one of our exec team members at Wonderkind told me that he now has basically muted all of his friends so that he can see the ads as opposed to even worrying about what, you know, what dinner the, the his buddy had last night. Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. he, he, he finds the algorithm so productive for him to discover new brands, new right. products that he, that's what he uses it for. And mm-hmm. so that, that is to, to the CEO's uh, CEO of Instagram shift and, and, and rather their thoughts that's exactly what consumers are doing. They're using their social media channels to then discover what we would have done via word of mouth 20 years ago. Right. Um, and it's much faster. You know, when you think about it, mm-hmm. if, if you and I hung out a couple of times a year, you might notice something that I'm wearing and say, hey, where'd you get that shirt? But that's two or three times a year. Right. If you're watching me on social media, you can see what I'm doing every single day. And, right. and you know exactly what's going on. Plus you can see thousands of others. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think what drives retailers to want to find that is that advantage that I want to catch the next trend. I think what drives them to fail at it is the inability to make the, the, the philosophical or the technolog- technological changes are, that are required to do that. And I've, I've worked with retailers for a long time. And the number of times I've had the, yes, but our board won't let us change like that conversation is sad. And those are usually the ones that don't work out. The ones that are, you know, they've, they've brought in new talent, they've brought in different talent, they've, they're willing to disrupt themselves. Those are the ones that get it. And, and by the way, get it and try things and fail, but they just keep trying and they're, they're right. willing to be open to it. They will find the success. They're, they're willing to adapt. Mm-hmm. So I, I think those are the main factors that drive it. You know, trying and failing is obviously something that business leaders ought to be doing, but it seems to me like in the digital world, you can try and fail at lightning speed and you have to be able to act quickly when this stuff happens. You know, back in the day when a clothing retailer may don't, they don't buy the hot fashion, they may get a hit, but they'll still have people in the store buying things. Whereas now I think if they, if they miss something, they've made a catastrophic mistake in some way. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Photo retailers, energize your sales with ShareMe Chat, the proven texting platform. Using chat to text on your website keeps your customers connected and buying. See us at Pro and IPI to find out why dealers using ShareMe Chat close more sales without adding staff. Find out more at shareme.chat. Yeah, it's, it's like the old example of uh, a rebrand or a store redesign. When, when you are completely brick and mortar, a store redesign is a multi-year project, m- millions and millions of dollars, takes tons of time. And if you miss the mark, you're done, right? You, you've really, you've wasted a lot of time. You've wasted a lot of money. You can do a digital storefront redesign every day. And right. you can try out various angles and, and different ways, rather, of approaching your customers, different messaging, uh, different brand ethos. You, you can test all of that and you can actually get the data on what works, what doesn't and take the best parts of it mm-hmm. and iterate again, uh, where it's very difficult to do that in the physical. So I, I think it has given a lot of upstart brands that we now know of as absolutely powerhouses like a Bombas or an Allbirds that started as just the website. They've branched into having products in stores and whatever, but they've figured out how to connect to their consumer mm-hmm. through that testing and iteration over time. Um, and those brands connect with the consumer very quickly and can be very disruptive. But, you know, otherwise would have taken years to get the word of mouth, would have taken years to figure out the right messaging if, if it was only a physical presence. So it's just, it's more tools in the toolkit for a marketer. It's kind of like if you have an entire suite of tools and you're only using a hammer and a screwdriver, you're missing the boat. There's other things that you can try. Uh, the marketers that really get that are the ones that are making, making progress quickly and growing leaps and bounds. So let's say, for example, you're a relatively small retailer, maybe you're a regional retailer, you've got two or three stores or something like that. How do you maintain that type of competitiveness? Because the challenge you have is, for better or for worse, Amazon has defined the shopping experience. They have trained the consumer to expect easy ordering always knowing where your product is in the, in the buying cycle and the delivery process down to a picture of the product on your porch when they deliver it. And so if you're competing against an Amazon or a, an equally large or effective retailer and you have 24 hours in a day to live and perhaps you sleep at some point, <laughs> how do you manage that? Because I mean, if you're trying to compete against that, you don't have those resources. What should you be focusing on? Yeah. So 
And it's a great one. It's one that, you know, I definitely get from smaller or up and coming brands uh, that either we work with or that I've worked with in the past. Uh, the, the best part about technology is that it's equally, it's e rather easily replicated and it's easily tailored to various parts of the market, sizes of companies, et cetera. Right. And basically every feature that's available on Amazon, every technique they use is available to a small retailer in some format, whether that be another vendor, whether that be technology that's been built and is literally free, there are capabilities that will allow you to get not necessarily the breadth and scale, certainly not the infrastructure that a company like an Amazon has, mm -hmm. um, but the, the go-to-market, absolutely. And I mean, if you look at the, the growth of Shopify, right, as a platform, yeah. there are so many plugins to that platform that'll allow a retailer of any type focused on any customer, the ability to essentially replicate some of those better features and things that consumers want as part of their experience. So there's really no excuse for a, you know, a retailer of two or three stores, a retailer of a hundred stores to, to utilize these capabilities. I think it's, it's, it does come down to being technologically minded. It does come down to being you know, willing to take a risk, but there are lots of tools available to, the, to a marketer, to a retailer, uh, to a brand of any size that allows them to compete. Uh, I also think it's important, though, to have the philosophical uh, intuition around what your, comp your competitive nature is or competitive advantage. Right, right. Namely, don't try and be Amazon because you can't. Right. But what aspects are most important to your customer, right? right. Uh, is it delivery? Is it, um, is it a breadth of product and store experience? Is it an app that is amazing? Whatever it may be that you think is going to create loyalty among your target market, that's the area to focus on first. And I think sometimes to your earlier point around why do people chase the new shiny thing? Sometimes when you chase too many of those, you're not doing any of them right. But have, you know, have the strategic mindset of saying, these are the two that are gonna matter most to my customers. So I'm gonna start there, get those perfect, and then I'll try other things. Focusing on your core business is vital, but almost more difficult than ever because there are so many options. There's a lot, there are a lot of distractions. Right. And that that's where I think really good marketers know to stay focused, deliver on the right components of the experience for their customers that matter the most and then branch out, you know, like let let success happen before you try more and more things to push it even further. Right. Uh, too often you see kind of an, an obviously disparate strategy where it's it's just they're trying everything. They're doing a bunch of different things and it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Um, when you, you know, on the, on the other side of that spectrum, when you see folks doing only one or two things, well, you think, why aren't they doing the rest of those things? But you really like that brand because they're doing what you need them to do really right. well. Um, I think that's, that's actually some of where the, the advantages for very focused product lines, incredibly limited options at early days in some of the direct to consumer brands that we all know right. today really help them, you know, really help them grow, get word of mouth, become uh, a, a brand others wanted to see more from, as opposed to branching out and doing everything for everyone mm -hmm. first. Yeah. And you see that sometimes with like mattress companies now getting into furniture, right? They've kind of leveraged the, the idea that, you know, we figured out how to make and sell mattresses direct to consumer. What other big bulky thing can we send to people and have yeah. that be a great experience? It's almost like the old, the idea of the line extension, but it's almost like a business extension. Yeah. And I've, I've talked to advised for, and otherwise know of a handful of brands that have tried that. There's one that I'll, I'll highlight um, outer furniture company mm -hmm. makes outdoor furniture, right? Couches, right. chairs, whatever. And relatively limited in colors and options and whatever, but incredibly well-designed, uh, has features that consumers really want, and they'll deliver in a week. It's in a box. You can set it up. It's the usual story. They're very expensive, but they're incredibly popular 
Right. And they've done an interesting model where they've actually created showrooms of individuals' homes. So right. as, a, as a consumer of their product, I can actually set up to allow people to come into my backyard and take a look at it so they can sell virtually through me. I get a little benefit, great, whatever, but they don't have any physical stores to worry about. That's, an, that, that's a new way of doing business. That's a new way right. of going to market. Yeah. They're adapting to, yes, you can sell furniture online, but now consumers want a little something else. They want right. to be able to see it, touch it, feel it. Great, sure. problem solved. Right. I find that as an example kind of interesting because it's a completely different way of doing things. You, most people, I think I would have been in that room saying that's never going to work. Right. And it's obviously it's, worked. It's interesting you said because that's always one of the things I've thought, you know, turning to the photo industry. I've, I've always thought that was something that, you know, the local retailer has the opportunity to exploit is, you know, to make heroes of their customers, right? right? To make heroes of the local photographers in their area, display their prints, do gallery showings and things like that. Again, things that aren't going to, maybe lead directly to sales, yeah. but will also embed themselves in the community and display just the type of things they can do. Yeah, it, it is interesting. And it's, it's funny you mentioned that. I am a photographer. You and I talked about this before. Um, in my background, completely uh, just, you know, for fun and as a, a, I'll call it a hobbyist, but there's a local photo store here that has a couple of locations, Precision Camera here in Austin, Texas. They, they do a phenomenal job of creating actual community around the photographers in the area. And I think what they've done really well is been inclusive of newer photographers, right? I, I, when I first started my, the photography habit uh, and enjoyed it so much, it was all film. Very expensive, slow turnaround, uh, difficult as an individual who wasn't doing it for a professional gain to really enjoy it. Digital has changed that. The camera on our phone is one of the most amazing pieces of technology in the last 15 years. And even on top of that, some of the ability for individuals to approach the technology much easier, much cheaper, has allowed for a lot more photography photographers to be expressive of their artistic ability. The, the, the shops like a Precision do a great job of making that community something that is local, something that is tailored to Austin, something that keeps it weird as we do here in Austin, but also make it enjoyable to explore other formats of the technology of the, of the, you know, the art craft, right? And when I go in there and I see literally a wall-sized print that someone made from an iPhone picture, and it's amazing, I would want to own that. I, I'm immediately thinking, okay, great. How do I use these services to do something like that for, for myself? Right. It's different. It's a different, again, addressing a different need of the consumer, the way they're going to market versus just having a really good website or a really good app. Yeah, that's actually a really good example because precision cameras uh, viewed in the photo industry as one of the leaders and innovator, right? They have gone to the superstore type format and when, when a lot of people were scaling back. And they do a great job also with just with the breadth of product. I mean, I think, you know, they've gotten into, you know, all kinds of different types of photography, not just focusing on like the advanced amateur or the hobbyist. Curious, what keeps you loyal to them as opposed to the myriad of other online opportunities that you have? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe say this in a bit of a kind of um, provocative way. I'm not. I'm actually not just loyal to them. I'm loyal to them for certain services, capabilities, okay. certain aspects that I need. When, I, when I'm looking at some, say, a printer technology, I want to go in and I want to see some results from that thing. And I want to see a couple of different kinds. I want to know, is 13 by 9 big enough? Do I really need a 16 by 10? What do I need? Because uh, I can guess and I can buy it online and I can get it. But I, I want to talk to somebody who actually uses this stuff on a daily basis. Right, right, yeah. When it's, I, I know that I want a canvas wrapped print. I, I've tried like five different online services. I've found a couple that are good quality, good price. Done. You know, it takes right. a week. It gets to my house. It's cheaper than Precision. I tell them that they're okay with it, yeah, uh, because they're not specializing in in bulk, large canvas print 
uh, right. format. They're focusing on different aspects of what the consumer needs. So I am loyal to them in ways that they, I know, are the best. I am not in ways that they are suboptimal. And I, they're okay with that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're looking at it like, great, we're going to take this end of the market. We're going to take these aspects of the photographer. We're going to do really well for them. Mm -hmm. uh, but these other parts, we're going to let it go to somebody who is, you know, able to deliver a cheaper and still decent experience for whatever co component of that service may be. You said that was provocative. I'm not sure that was provocative as much as is, is reality. And I think that's one of the things in retail you have to cope with today is reality. There are other options out there. You're not going to get 100% of a customer's business anymore. Whereas, you know, I think 10, 15 years ago, there was the assumption, you know, they're a regular customer. I've got them. Right. And it, it's also a matter of, look, if the consumer's happy, they're going to continue to be a customer of yours. But if they're frustrated by the one thing you don't do very well and can't get it anywhere else, that may actually turn against you, work against you. Right. Uh, I, I think, it, it, to your point, it's important to embrace the fact that the consumer can and will seek out their services and products from wherever they need to and will be different buyers. I, I may be less price sensitive to someone else, if a certain lens is something I need to have sooner than later, and it's backordered online, but I can get it at precision. Right. And vice versa, I may not care at all if it takes a print to take a month, if it's half the cost of what right. I would spend to get it done overnight. Right. So it just depends on what those needs are and making sure you understand what your customers really want, optimize for that. How much of your work is dealing with retail staff or customer communication? Because I think that's the golden ticket I to a successful retail experience, how you communicate with the customer, how you fulfill the promise, when things don't go right, how you respond to yeah. that. Yeah, honestly, Gary, not as much as I would like personally, just because I've kind of been a, you know, a retail fan for so long, just in mm -hmm. general, right? Mm -hmm. and, and across all matters of verticals and subverticals. Most of our business at Wonderkind is focused on the digital side, right? We do have strategic relationships with our customers. And we are working with CMOs and CEOs and informing them of what we are hearing and seeing as either right. challenges or trends in the market. And one of the roles we play is that of a connector. When we hear of a problem that we know we don't solve and they know we don't solve, but we also know of three other executives who have solved that challenge with right. their businesses, we connect them. It makes for a very interesting relationship where really at some point, some of the value we're really adding to these folks is just connecting them to others in the market that are facing the same challenges. We're delivering right. great service from what we do, right. but we don't deal with in-store experience the same way yet. You know, we may, we've got all kinds of thoughts on how to, to, to drive more value for our customers today, but just getting them in touch with folks that have solved those problems or have them today and are in the act of solving them can mm -hmm. be very impactful. And it, it is just, you know, it's a good business relationship as well. Uh, we want to see our customers succeed and any way we can help them do that, whether we do it directly or not, we're happy to. As we move out of COVID, hopefully, what do you see as the big takeaway retailers of any size, primarily, you know, independents could take away going into 2021, you know, you got to, you know, some of you are planning for the holiday season now. Uh, what do you anticipate as the overall consumer vibe? Yeah, they're, they're, you're right. They are definitely planning for holiday today. That's standard. It's earlier and earlier every year, but they've got to get all kinds of things lined up in order to make sure they're delivering on the, the most productive time of year for all retail, right? Mm -hmm. uh, something like 40% of sales are going to be delivered around the holiday time. And, right. and that's a big chunk to be done in a month. I think there are certain trends that are just here to stay. The buy online, pick up in-store, is that's a done deal. That is table stakes for most especially big box retailers, mm -hmm. uh, even local. 
I think more and more the discovery of the product and the availability of understanding the, the, the details behind it to the comment earlier about the showrooms or more and more details on, on the website about the product itself. There's a lot of trends with consumers around sustainability and equality and issues that are more political or social, but mattering to the brand's philosophy as part of whether or not the consumer wants to be uh, a loyalist of that brand. And, and that awareness is important to understand their consumers. I think app experience and just online presence in general has to be top notch. Mm -hmm. There's a huge difference between working with a retailer that has a really good app experience where it's so easy, it's seamless. I can do everything I need to right there. Mm -hmm. uh, even if I'm in the store, it benefits me even then uh, versus others that you can tell have not invested in it or have not kept it up to date with consumers needs as of now. Right. It's a turnoff. And it makes those brands less likely to be, uh, you know, loyal to, right, from a consumer standpoint. Right. So uh, those are the trends that are, those are, they just were accelerated by COVID. These things right. were happening already. Right. Just, you know, it was like a night and day shift where you had to have buy online pickup in store because you couldn't physically walk in the store. Right. Um, you know, so you had to like get it at the curbside kind of thing. That That's just going to stick around. It's convenient. I, I, I know a lot of folks that have never done grocery pickup curbside and now that's all they do. I think it moved up the timetable about five years. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Well, thank you, Michael, for your time. I appreciate your, your insight and expertise and hopefully you will continue to take lots of pictures and make giant prints. <laughs> Absolutely, Gary. That's never going to stop. Thank you for listening to the Dead Pixel Society podcast. Read more great stories and sign up for the newsletter at www.thedeadpixelssociety.com.